I don't know if you noticed anything different about me this morning, but uh, over the past almost three decades, I have had the same hairstyle. And I figured, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of a thing, you know. And uh, lately, I've been talking to the lady that does my hair, and I said, well, I gotta switch, we got to switch it up somehow, you know. So uh, in a little way, you might notice that, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out what, what I want to do, you know, new. But I mean, you know, back when I was in high school, I mean, I, I had a different hairstyle a lot. I mean, sometimes I'd part my hair down the middle. And uh, sometimes I've had bangs. I wouldn't have bangs. I, I had a perm. Sometimes I, I'd have a perm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, shortly after high school, I, I got this short haircut, and it, like, stuck with me. I mean, I, I like, that's, you know, and it I just never changed. Getting stuck doesn't just happen with a hairstyle, especially for us guys, you know. Uh, it happens in life. We can get stuck in routines. We can get stuck in um, our comfort zone. We can get stuck and become somewhat complacent. We can establish habits and behaviors and even some addictions that we just kind of do over and over and over again. We stay there. We see the world a certain way, we think a certain way, and we end up saying, you know, well, my way is the right way, or at least my way works for me, and I'm just fine with it. Every one of us, whether if we see it or not, can be stuck in our lives. Now the question is, is that okay? Is it okay to be stuck? It's probably okay to be stuck in a hairstyle. But we're on this series entitled Metamorphosis, where God actually wants to continue to conform us into the image of His Son. He wants to continue to grow us. He wants to continue to change us. And unfortunately, we all can, no, we all will, get stuck along the way on this uh, journey of transformation. And I know that we will get stuck because the Apostle Paul got stuck. And this morning, we're going to see how this happens, how we get stuck in this process of metamorphosis. And then we are going to begin to see how to get unstuck. And I say the word begin because really, today and then for the rest of this series leading all the way up to Easter, we are going to continue to unpack Romans 6, 7, and 8 and see the rest of this series, how God wants to get us unstuck so that we can continue to be uh, changed, so we can be, continue to be transformed. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans 25 years after his conversion, after he became a Christian. And about halfway through the book of Romans, he gets really personal. He shares personally how he got stuck. And he talks about how he, why he got stuck and how to get unstuck. So the first thing that we're going to learn this morning is how we get stuck. How is it that we get stuck? God wants to continue to change us, but how is it that we get stuck? 
and I can sum it up in one word, sin. We get stuck because of sin. So if you have your Bibles handy, you can go with me to Romans chapter 7. We are now at verse 13. If you don't have your Bible handy, uh, you can go ahead and follow along as I have it up here on the screen. Romans 7 verse 13, the Apostle Paul begins with this word, therefore. Now whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it therefore? What is it following? What, is it, what did he just talk about? What he just got done talking about is how the law of God, the commandment of God, the word of God is holy and righteous and good and how he's wrestling with this sin in his life. And so he says, therefore, did that which is good, this law, this commandment, these, the, the word of God, that which is good become a cause of death for me? Now when he says death in this verse, he's talking about this sense of feeling disillusioned, about feeling defeated, like I've been wrestling with sin and it's just causing this me to feel really down. I am stuck in this sin and I don't know what to do about it. So is it, is it because of the law that it's causes death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by, by affecting my death, that it is wrong, I can tell that it's wrong, through that which is good, that would be the law itself, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. You know, it's one thing that sin is bad. What makes sin utterly sinful is when God's Word highlights, oh, this is sin, and this is wrong. And we go, oh, now I have clarity on that sin that's wrong. I got it. But I'm still stuck. I'm still stuck. I can't see. I know that it's wrong now. You clarified it for me. But I'm still stuck. This makes it like utterly sinful. This makes it like really bad. Like I don't like this anymore. And then he goes on in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm, I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. This, this thing called sin, it's like got a hold of me, and I'm stuck with it, and I, and I want to get rid of it, but I just can't seem to do it. Now, when we talk about sin, we've, we've got to be really clear on what we're talking about. Let's, let's define what sin is. Sin is an action or an attitude which proves unlike the character of God. Let me say it again. Sin is an action or attitude which proves unlike the character of God. And where do we find out what the character of God is all about? Right here in the Bible. The law, the commandments, uh, the whole of scriptures. Now, let me ask a, a challenging question to us. If sin is an action or an attitude which proves unlike the character of God, is it sin in the eyes of God before it is proven to us to be sin? Or to put it another way, were our sins sins before we knew that they were sins and therefore were guilty of them? Did Jesus die for our sins in our lives even though we're unaware of those sins? The answer to that question, those questions that are all asking the same thing, is yes. Our sins are sins even if we're unaware of them. And notice, it's not just our actions that are sins, but it's our attitude which, which, is, which 
any attitude that's proven to be unlike the character of God that is also sin. Now, I looked up in Merriam-Webster's dictionary what, what attitude means. Real simply, it's the way you think and feel about someone or something. Our attitude is the way that we think and feel about someone or something. We can sin in our thinking. We can sin in our feelings and end up being proven that we are not aligned with the character of God. We're not aligned with who He is or the way He sees things or the way He thinks about things. And you can really go across the board with like anything. Like the way we view the world. Oh, Maybe it doesn't align with the way that God views the world. But we can think of how we view people or how we treat other people or um, how we view marriage or our relationships with one another. I mean, you, you name it. If our thinking and our feelings, if our attitudes do not align with the character of God, they are sin. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, which is up in the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, he was born into privilege. Uh, Paul, of, Paul of Tarsus was, uh, was a wealthy kid growing up, and his parents gave him the very best. They sent him actually from Tarsus down to Jerusalem so that he could be educated with the very best teachers in Judaism. He was a Jewish guy, and, uh, and so he went to school down in Jerusalem, and he got the best education that was available in the world. And uh, he far exceeded all of his other fellow students. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls him a Hebrew of Hebrews, an expert in the law. This guy was brilliant. The Apostle Paul was absolutely brilliant. And, uh, and so he became a Pharisee, a teacher, a, a prominent guy, a well-popular guy, a guy of power. And then there was this carpenter's son that came along. You know him as Jesus. And in Paul's eyes, an uneducated guy who just starts spouting off all this truth. At least the guy who's spouting it, the carpenter's son, Jesus, thought it was true in Paul's eyes. And so when Jesus said something about the Pharisees, that they were hypocrites, that they were a whitewashed tomb, meaning they were all clean on the outside, but on the inside they were like dead man's bones, you know, they were like unclean on the inside. No doubt if the Apostle Paul heard that, he was thinking, who is this uneducated guy telling us who we are? And probably just brushed him off. No doubt when Jesus died, the Apostle Paul was glad to get rid of him. You know, like he was like a pesky fly that kept getting in the way. But, but then... Jesus' followers start this growing movement afterwards, and the Apostle Paul, being passionate for his Judaism, being passionate for knowing what, what he's learned in his life and, and figuring it all out, has, like set out to put an end to this movement. And so he had Christians arrested, and he gave a hearty approval when they were put to death. Yeah, the Apostle Paul, he was successful. He was popular. He was... He was powerful. He was set in his life. He was stuck in his life. Even though he thought everything was okay, he would soon find out that his actions and his attitudes would be proven to not align with the very character of God. I think of seven different ways in which the Apostle Paul's life might reveal to us how we might get stuck 
in our wrong actions and attitudes that don't align with the very character, the righteousness, the rightness of God. Let me, let me give them to you. Uh, our upbringing. Now, the Apostle Paul had quite an upbringing. But his influence that he had growing up moved him in a direction away from the very truth of God, even though he thought he was moving toward it. Um, his education. You know, we are one of the most educated countries, people in any place in the world. And our education can actually move us away from the proven character of God. The Apostle Paul had pride. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He, he knew who he was. He was confident in who he was. We can become quite confident in who we are. We can become quite confident in our knowledge. We can become quite confident and proud of the way that we've been raised or, or made or whatever. And yet it can be proven to be unlike the character of God. The Apostle Paul had passion. He had zeal. You know, sometimes in our world today, if you have passion, it must be true. And the Apostle Paul, if there was a guy that ever had passion or zeal, it was the Apostle Paul. But it was proven to be unlike the character of God. It was sin. Or how about uh, his position? You know, he had quite a position. He was one of the higher upper echelons of the intelligentsia of his day. We can have our positions, you know, I'm, I have this label or that label, I'm a, I'm a manager or I'm a doctor or I'm a whatever, you know, and we, we tend to enjoy our positions. Paul's position, I think, led him toward being unlike the character of God. Comfort. We live in a very comfortable world, don't we? I mean, Annalisa Olson, you... She's not living in comfort in Angola. We, we live in comfort, and our comfort can get the best of us. Our comfort might move us in a direction where we, in our lives, are not like the character of God. The seventh way in which the Apostle Paul, I think, displayed that he, his life was not like the very character of God was in the beginning of Romans 7, where he confesses that he has the sin of coveting or the sin of lusting that he struggled with. He was stuck in it. Well, like the Apostle Paul, are we stuck? What has caused us to get stuck in sin where our actions and our attitudes do not prove to, or prove to be unlike the character of God? And the first step then in getting unstuck, like the Apostle Paul, is just to admit that we are. Admitting that we are stuck. Where are we stuck? Paul admits it, verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin dwells in me. Notice something about what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He is speaking in the present tense. He's not saying this is something that I struggled with way back when. He's saying this is something that I struggle with right here and right now. This is a present tense struggle. Now let's not let this get away from us. We can become comfortable in our own eyes, viewing ourselves the way we do, and yet we can be stuck in a rut. 
we can avoid allowing ourselves to be challenged. The, the Apostle Paul, he knew the Bible. I mean, if there was a guy that knew the Bible, he knew the Bible. At that time, they only had the Old Testament, but he knew it through and through. Um, he didn't let himself be challenged personally with what the Scriptures taught. Uh, when he would study the Scriptures, it was always this great application that you have, to, you have to apply to your life, and you have to apply to your life, and you have to apply to your life. And you know what? He must have read, Thou shalt not covet, thousands and thousands of times, and thinking, yep, that is part of the law for sure. But he never let it get under his skin. That is, until Jesus got a hold of him. And then he realized, wait, it's not you shall not covet, I shall not covet. I, I covet. I lust. And it's something that's really got a hold of me. This is what the Apostle Paul was saying. He could never transform. He could never go through a metamorphosis that Jesus wanted him to go through until he was ready, willing and able to admit, I am stuck. I covet, or I view God, I view the world, I view myself not in alignment with the truth of God, with the very character of God, that my views go contrary to God's views, and therefore I am sinful. He admitted it. The same goes for us, too. Are we willing to admit I'm stuck. And the reason why I'm stuck is because of sin. But once we admit it, then we can be rescued. Once we admit that we're stuck, then we can be rescued. And I think this rescue has three parts. First of all, we need to realize that we cannot save ourselves. A lot of times, well, I'm stuck. Yep, I admit I'm stuck. Now I just got to work harder. It's got to do this myself. We have to realize that we cannot save ourselves. That's what Paul realized. Look at verse 21. I find then the principle that, th that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. I am a prisoner of this sin. I can't seem to escape this prison that I find myself in. And then he concludes with verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Now when I translated this verse 24, it's more accurate, I think, to say, who will save me from this body of death? Some of you may know the name Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee was a Chinese man. He was born in 1903. He uh, got saved as a young man. I think he was in high school when he got saved. And uh, he lived in China under a totalitarian government. And he was a, a prolific author and speaker. He, he was bold about his Christianity, which cost him, by the way, that the last 20 years of his life he was put in prison in China because he was an outspoken Christian. This guy was a solid follower of the Lord. And he wrote a, a 
classic work, he wrote a number of different things, but I think his most classic work is called The Normal Christian Life. It actually was one of the first books that I read uh, when I was a brand new believer, and it was like, whoo, way over my head. But today uh, you can read it, and it's, uh, it's quite profound. But let me share with you an insight that he gives into this verse, verse 24. He writes this about this verse in The Normal Christian Life. He writes, death is the weakness produced to its extremity. Death is weakness produced to its extremity. Weakness, sickness, death. Death means utter weakness. It means you are weak to such a point that you can become no weaker. In this same work, The Normal Christian Life, he tells a story of when he and 20 other Christian brothers were staying at this house, and because the house didn't have the proper plumbing for all of them to take baths every single day, they actually would go down to the river and take a plunge in the river every day and clean themselves up in the river. And one time they were there, and uh, one of the guys was out in the river, and he got a cramp in his leg, and he started to drown. And Watchman Nee wasn't a very good swimmer, but he knew that one of the guys there on the beach was one of the best swimmers, and he knew actually how to rescue people who are drowning, and he's sitting there, and he says, oh, hey, oh, you know, and he's telling them that the guy is out there drowning, and the guy is flailing around in the water, and he's, and he's really struggling, and the guy on the beach, who's a really good swimmer, who knows how to rescue people, he's just sitting there, and watchman, he's like, can't you see, he's drowning, he's drowning, you know, and, he, and the guy just sits there, and he starts to get angry at him, like, thinking to himself, you care more about your life than about the life of another Christian brother in the water, and you're just going to sit there. And he got really, really mad. Matter of fact, in the book he said, I, I started hating him for what he was doing. Well, when the guy in the river finally, out of sheer exhaustion, actually started to sink underneath the water, just giving up, that's when the guy from the beach jumps into the water with a few quick strokes, grabs the guy, brings him to shore, and they're both safe. Well, Watchman Nee was still angry. You know, like, I cannot believe that you waited until the guy was almost dead, literally, before you went in to save him. And the guy that went in to save him said, had I gone in any earlier, he would have clutched me and we both would have drowned. He said, a drowning man cannot be saved until he is utterly exhausted and ceases to make the slightest effort to save himself. A drowning man cannot be saved until he is utterly exhausted and ceases to make the slightest effort to save himself. Now there is a good picture for us. When we finally give up, when we finally admit it, in me, in my body, this body of death, I am so weak. I am the weakest of weak. I cannot become any weaker. I cannot save myself from the power that this sin has in my life. When we finally begin to sink and give up, and we're done, we're done. That is when we give ourselves over to the Lord. That is when it's like the Lord will jump in and pull us to shore. Notice verse 24 again. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death or from the, this body of death? And his response in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. By the way, he could have just said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And that would have been a true statement. But he adds, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
He's the Lord of my life. Jesus became the Apostle Paul's Savior and Lord on the Damascus Road. When Paul was passionately trying to squash all those Christians who, who were, you know, making this new movement that he was totally opposed to, he's like, I'm going north of Jerusalem, going up to Damascus. He's got word from the leaders in Jerusalem that, he's, that he can go do it. He's heading up north to, to Damascus, and Jesus meets him on the road. Bright light shines all around him. The people that were with him kind of fall to the sides, and, and the apostle Paul, because of the bright light and Jesus' interaction with him, he goes blind. He has scales over his eyes, and he has to be led into the city of Damascus where he sits and waits. Can't do anything. Jesus sends a guy named Ananias to him to tell him the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And when he puts his faith in Jesus, his, the scales from his eyes just fall off. The Apostle Paul had to become completely dependent on the Lord. Jesus rescued Paul from the penalty of his sin. And he rescued him from the power of sin. And the Apostle Paul, what, what Jesus did is he revealed to the Apostle Paul that his actions and his attitudes, the way that he was raised, the things that he believed, that they just did not line up with the character of God. And Paul knew he had to give himself over to the Lord. Give himself over to the Lord. Surrender to the Lord. And he knew in this moment that he had to surrender himself over to the Lord to the point where only God can save him from the power of this sin in his life. So the Lord, he reveals to us where we're stuck. And if we try on our own flesh and our own body, we're going to realize just how weak we really are. He wants us to get to a place where we say, Lord, save me. Lord, who will save me from this wretched man that I am? Praise be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We have wrong actions. We know they're wrong actions. God tells us that they're wrong actions. We know they don't line up with his character. Lord, save me. Save my eyes. You know, Paul coveted that, that lust of the eyes. Save my eyes, Lord. Rescue my eyes that I would look upon people and things the way that you look upon them. Lord, save my tongue that this, this foul language that comes out of my mouth, that you would just, oh, save, my, save me, Lord, in this moment. Save my feet, that, that I would go where you want me to go. That I'd do what you want me to do. And when it comes to our attitudes, you know, the way we think, the wrong thinking that we have, the wrong feelings that we have, Lord, save me, rescue me. Who will save me from this wretched man that I am? Praise be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then I find it peculiar what Paul writes after that statement about the Lord. Look at again verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he goes on. You would think that he would just kind of end it there. But he goes on. He says, so then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. It's like Paul saying, okay, he saves me, but I'm not out of the woods yet, you know? I'm in process here. I'm still in the game. There's still this going on inside of me, even though I know the Lord will save me. The way I have it in your outline is this, that we, we go before the Lord doing it again and again in His grace. Lord, save me again and save me again and save me again, and I know I'm in Your grace. I actually think the first verse of chapter 8 ought to be stuck with the last verse of chapter 7. And 
because the Apostle Paul then says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is grace. There's no condemnation. I keep sinning, Lord. Oh, who's going to save me, this wretched man that I am? Oh, thank you that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. means we can get stuck. We can fall down. But Lord, you can bring me back up. We can fail again. We can give ourselves over to the Lord again and again. Knowing that His grace covers us, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're free to go back to Him again and again and again. Lord, have power over this sin in my life. And as we do, I think we'll find that slowly but surely, you know this hairstyle isn't a huge change. It's a little change. But we'll see little changes along the way. He'll, he'll, he'll begin to bring about that transformation, that, that metamorphosis, where that sin no longer has a grip on us like it used to have. Where then in our hearts we can say, you know, honestly, <laughs> this life of mine, this is unexplainable apart from the power of God in my life.